King Jesus, our Lord God, we thank you so much, God, for all that you do in our lives, how you bless us, God, how you work in our lives, how you answer prayer. And Lord, you're right here. And so we give you the highest praise. We give you our hearts. Lord, I pray you bless your word now as we open up our Bibles and that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen. Well, if you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 18. Acts 18, we're going to continue our study here tonight. Acts 18, while you're turning there, uh, just a praise report that the uh, surgery for Kathy, um, for them to cover the hole on her head, went very well and went good. Praise the Lord. And uh, the scan went very well, too. So things are looking good. So we just continue to pray now for really um, just things to step up for her recovery. So just a little update there. Acts 18. Acts 18. We'll get right into our message here. Uh, I don't know if you guys know the name Norman Geisler. He's a theologian, uh, apologist, uh, writer. Well, he went home to heaven in 2019, and uh, there's something he said. He said, I I am put here for the defense of the gospel. He wrote over 100 books. Uh, One was titled this. I like this. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. (laughs) I thought that's a good one, too. Well, Geisler, he really uh, brought light to the truth of God, and he really shared a lot of the truth of God, of the Bible, to many. And, and certainly he made a big impact on many lives with Jesus Christ. It is told, though, that when Norman Geisler was nine years old, he was invited to a vacation Bible school. After attending that, he then attended Sunday school for nine years until he accepted Jesus at the age of 18. So it's told that for 400 Sundays, Geisler was picked up and brought to church. For 400 Sundays, a faithful bus driver showed up, picked him up every Sunday and brought him to church. And it's been said, what if the bus driver gave up on on Sunday number 399? Yeah, (laughs) what if that happened? What if he said, oh, nothing is going on. Why waste time on him? But he didn't. He kept going. I'm glad, for we have a great saint in our modern times who did so much for the kingdom of God and putting out God's truth. I'm glad the bus driver, the cakey servants, the church continued to carry on the work no matter what. Well, that's the title of our message tonight. Carry on the work. Carry on the work. We're going to see how Paul does that. The Apostle Paul goes on in our passage in Acts chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 23 tonight. Uh, Not quite all the way to the end of this chapter, but most of the middle section. We're going to pick it up from verse 12. We left off in verse 11. Now, we're going to see four things here. Number one, the faithful conservation. Number two, the faithful consecration. Number three, the faithful completion. And number four, the faithful cultivation. 
So that's what we're going to be finding here, our points and our message tonight. And we're going to see God, we're going to see Paul really fulfill these things. So carry on the work, Acts chapter 18, verse 12 to 23. Let's begin with number one, the faithful conservation. The faithful conservation. Now, here we're going to be covering verses 12 through 17. 12 through 17. But let's take a look first at verse 12 and verse 13. Acts chapter 18, verses 12 and 13, it says this. But when Galileo was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And we'll stop right there. Well, we begin here with Galileo. Galileo, I don't know how to say his name, was pro-council. He was like the governor of um, Achaia, which is the, the area of Corinth now, the region of Corinth there. And when he became governor, the Jews made this united attack coming against Paul. Now, uh, uh, Galileo, Galileo, well, I can't say that, Galileo, Galileo, uh, probably Galileo, is probably more correct. Galileo, he became like the governor of that area, maybe around 50 A.D. And when he came on the scene, the Jews thought, well, here's our chance to really go after Paul now. Uh, probably the old pro-council governor there didn't do too much. So here's a new guy in town. So they thought, well, let's, let's get Paul. And so they brought Paul to the tribunal, or in the original language, it's bima, which we understand from 1 Corinthians, the bima seat, the judgment seat of, of Jesus. Well, this is the judgment seat of the city of Corinth. So this is where they held court with this pro-council, with this governor kind of guy in the city of Corinth. So they came, brought, char- brought Paul and brought charges, brought him to court basically to, to seriously charge him that he may be punished and sentenced by the Roman government overseeing here. So, so that's what we see when we are coming into verse 12 here. Now they came in with this accusation saying this man, which is Paul, is persuading people now to worship God contrary to the law. Now, um, we know Paul's missionary plan, right? He comes into town and he shares Christ. He goes to the synagogue. He reasons, right, with the Jews there in the synagogue and the Sabbath services from the Old Testament, uh, reasoning with them, giving them a study of Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah, and then pointing to Jesus that he's the one who uh, uh, fulfilled that prophecy, so the Jews are coming saying, look, here, here's Paul. He came into town. He's persuading. He's, he's reasoning. He's, he's telling the, the, the Jews now to uh, worship against what the law of God really says, contrary to that. Now, uh, basically, they're saying, you know, he's trying to get us to acknowledge that, that Jesus is the Messiah and to worship him. And, that, and that's what they call it's contrary to our law or contrary to our word, contrary to what we believe in him. So they're accusing Paul of this crime. Well, it goes on now to say uh, uh, when verse 14, when Paul was about to 
opened his mouth, uh, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a manner of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see it to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. So Gallio hears all this and he goes, You know what, guys? Look. I mean, if, if he really did some vicious, serious crime, right? Paul's about to give his defense. But here's the pro-counsel. Here's the head guy. Interrupts, kind of uh, says, right when Paul was going to give his defense, Gallio comes in and says, look, if this was a serious thing, I would do something. But you know what? It's all about your theology, um, and if it's about your theology, about what you believe in your religion and Judaism and all that, you can, you can settle this on your own. If it's about words and things like that, that, well, you don't agree, well, you know what, that's something you, you got to uh, settle. And, and maybe Galio saw their plot. Maybe he could see through what they were trying to do with Paul. And then basically he drove him out. He said, get out of my courtroom kind of thing. So then look at verse 17. And they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So some of his guys came and beat the ruler of the synagogue, Sosthenes. And Gallio's like, turn a blind eye. And, you know, obviously you can see that this Roman leader, governor kind of guy, wasn't very friendly to these Jews. I don't think he liked them at all. And for them to come in like this, maybe waste his time, um, he's not going to do anything. But <clears throat> some of his guys go and, and beat up the ruler of the synagogue, Sosthenes. Now, it could be that Sosthenes uh, was, came in with these other Jews. Now, in the original language, when it says that the Jews, back in uh, verse 12, the Jews made a united attack, I was reading that in the original language, it's kind of saying it, it was the leaders, the Jewish religious leaders that came in. And so Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue of that city, came with them, probably maybe even leading these guys, perhaps. And that's why he was targeted, because he's the leader of the synagogue. Maybe he actually came in and was the spokesperson, the one bringing these charges, trying to get Paul to uh, be criminally convicted. So he's the one that gets beat up here. Now, it's interesting, though. Perhaps after he got beat up, after he was the target, perhaps Paul, and I'm saying perhaps, we don't read it here, but I'll tell you why in a moment. Perhaps Paul went and attended maybe to his wounds. I was thinking about, remember um, uh, uh, how uh, the jailer probably attended to Paul's wounds back in Philippi. I was thinking about, well, perhaps maybe Paul did something because he was there. He was accused. And the reason I say that, because you know what? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 1, it says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. 
So it could be that this was a point that he came to the Lord. The interesting thing, if you remember uh, up in verse, I think it was verse 8, Crispus was named the ruler of the synagogue, but he came to Christ. So maybe he got fired. Now here's Sosthenes leading a group. So it could be, though, maybe he, even he came to the Lord. Because if it's the same person in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which I believe it is, that perhaps after this incident, that perhaps the love of God flowed through Paul and Sosthenes came to the Lord. Interesting what we see in here. Notice something, though. If you go back to verse 12, it says, But when Gallio was pro-council. But when. Now, with that word, but with this phrase, but when, it, it, we really come in a contrast, right? That as we've been following the story, Paul had been enjoying this attack-free time in the city of Corinth. Remember, we read in verse 11, if you go back up there, he stayed a year and six months, a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. Remember as we ended last week that, he, that the Lord came to him, right? The Lord came and show, told him, hey, don't worry, right? Uh, verse 9 and 10, no harm's going to come to you. I'm going to be with you. And so he enjoyed this time of None of these things that happened in the other cities, the Jews coming to attack and all that was, was going on, coming against Paul, trying to get at him, trying to kill him, that didn't happen at all. But when Gallio became proconsul, then the enemy used that to try and stop the gospel. And what I mean is the devil came in and tried to use that. Did he get to Paul then? No, he didn't, even in that. Because God kept his word and his promise to Paul in that vision at night that we saw in verse 9 and 10 that we looked at last week. So Paul was able to carry on the work for you can count on the promise of God's faithful conservation. God's protection, you guys. I mean, this could have turned out really bad, but God was in all of this. God was, was right there protecting Paul, and he was still able to teach. And so we see Paul was able to carry on the work. He was able to go on because of the Lord's faithful conservation, his protection. And when God says he's going to do that, he's going to do that, right? When God gives his word, he's going to do that. When God says he's going to be there, he's, he's going to be there. And for Paul, he specifically told him, look, no harm is going to Come to you. I'm going to use you here. I've called you here. And you know what? You're going to be okay. You're going to freely share the gospel and teach the word. You know, uh, uh, last I think it was the end of last week or Friday or Saturday, I was really encouraged in my devotion. I was reading Nehemiah chapter 9, and, and, and Nehemiah was just was kind of come in, in that passage was coming out, kind of rehearsing what God had done with the Israelites in their 40-year journey in that wilderness. And, and there was things like in verse 19, uh, you know, great uh, God, your great mercies didn't forsake us in the wilderness. Or, or, and he said, you know, we were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a, fi- a pillar of fire by night. 
God was with them, protecting them in his conservation of the people of Israel. And that was, you know what, for 40 years. It wasn't just one day. It was this whole journey through the wilderness. In verse 20, it talks about how, how God had provided the manna every day, the water, that they had everything they needed for food and water. In verse 21, it talks about how for 40 years uh, uh, they were sustained. They lacked nothing. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their, their, their feet did not swell. Those are some of the wording in there. And then in verse 22, it comes to the point where then God gave them their land. They took possession of that promised land. And, you know, that day when I was reading it that morning, it really encouraged me how faithful God is. How faithful he is to his word that he told Israel, hey, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going, to, you're, I'm going to bring you into this land. And he did. Through all that journey, through all that they faced, even enemies, everything in that wilderness, God was there providing, sustaining, protecting, conserving them. This is God. God keeps his word. And what we saw in verse 9 and 10, when the Lord said to Paul, it says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are uh, my people. I mean, that's God's word to Paul. If God is giving you a word, perhaps something of the future, perhaps maybe a word of comfort, perhaps a promise to you that he will take care of you that you'll get through that uh he will provide you know what take that as his word and that promise as his word and you can count on that you can count on the promise of god's faithful conservation i like this uh, matthew henry said god never promises more than he is able to perform right I mean, God's not going to give you a promise that, oh, sorry, cannot do it now, right? No, God never promises more than he is able to perform. Now, God never promises that things will go easy and smooth, but he does promise us safe arrival at the end of the journey. So here's Paul carrying on the work. He can carry on the work because he counts on the faithful conservation of God. Let's go to number two, the faithful consecration. The faithful consecration. And now here, we're just going to look at verse 18. Just one verse. It says here, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centure, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. So we'll stop right there. Now, we see that Paul stayed a while in the city of Corinth. Many days, it says, longer. After this whole incident, he continued to minister, teach the word, share Jesus Christ. And then he took leave. Then he took off, and he set sail for Syria, or we can say that's the area of Israel. So he's heading in that direction now. And who is with him? Priscilla and Aquila. 
or Aquila and Priscilla. I always wonder, how come her name's first? Maybe it just reads better. Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla. I don't know. Isn't it, I, I thought, isn't it funny that these two got married? It's like, oh, we're meant for each other because our names rhyme, you know, kind of thing. I don't know. I thought, I thought wow, that's pretty cool, Priscilla and Aquila. Well, anyway, you, you remember they're uh, Paul's friends, this couple, and remember they become lifelong friends. We hear them mentioned many times. They were in the same trade as Paul, tent makers, right? They met here in this city, and, and so um, they... They're part of the team now, really. So they're traveling with Paul, and they go with Paul. Now, at Sancre, it says here, he, he had his hair, uh, he, he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Now, I want you to take a look at a map here. He's gone, he gone from Corinth, and he's going to Sancria, um, which is a port, and that's where he's going to take this boat. And he's going to end up in Ephesus, and we'll see that in a moment. Uh, but just to give you a little bearing here. But he left Corinth now, and he's in Sancria. And in Sancria, there we read, he's at this port. They're going to travel on the ocean toward Israel. But we read that now he, he cut his hair because he took a vow. So, so what is that? Well, Paul took what is called the Nazarite vow. It's found in Numbers chapter 6. Basically, it's 30 days of consecrating or consecration, setting yourself apart. That's what it really means. Uh, Setting oneself apart, consecrating one to God, oneself to God. So this is this vow that he took. In this vow, you're not supposed to cut your hair, for 30 days, uh, you don't eat anything from the vine. So no grapes or raisins or no wine, anything like that. And, and so this is a, a, a vow that you really make toward a God in consecrating yourself. Um, there's a 30-day Nazarite vow, 60-day, 90-day. We know of Samson, right? He did it for his whole life. Or John the Baptist did this for the, the, his whole life. This is that consecration. This is, uh, Paul took this, and it's probably 30 days, the short one. And then at the end of that vow, you cut your hair, and then you take uh, the hair you cut off, and you take it to the temple, to Jerusalem, as an offering to the Lord. So this is part of Paul's plan to head toward Syria or Israel to end up in Jerusalem, and we'll, we'll see that at, in our passage here. Now, <clears throat> why would you make this Nazarite vow. Why do, you, why do you make that? Well, customarily, you make this vow, you make it in gratitude to God, in thanksgiving to God for special deliverance or a special blessing. So it's like God de- blessed you in some way or God delivered you, rescued you in some way, and then, well, you know, I'm going to show my gratitude and thanksgiving. And so Paul took that vow. He made that vow, I believe, in Corinth. And why was that? Because of God's deliverance, right, from the Jews and the pro-council. What could have happened to him? I believe God, I mean, Paul, made this Nazarite vow in Corinth. And as we we read that 
Uh, in verse 18, after this, Paul stayed many days longer after this whole incident. He stayed a while in the city of Corinth, perhaps almost that 30 days. And when he was in Sancria, that the end of the vow, the 30 days happened. And so he cut his hair because he made that vow. And he's going to take the hair he cut off as an offering to God in the temple in Jerusalem. So here's Paul in a very Jewish way yeah, to show his gratitude to his Lord God who had kept his promise. Isn't that wonderful and beautiful how, what Paul is doing? Some feel that, why is Paul doing this? Is he drifting back into Judaism? Um, I don't think so. We know Paul. We know from his writings he's very straight on, on, on Jesus Christ or saved by grace. He's, he, 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 we learn from his writings of how, how to you know, differentiate all that. Uh, 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 it's not the ritual anymore. It's not all of that, right? So we know Paul's not that way. So I, I think he just wanted to honor his God. I think he just wanted to give his heartfelt gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord and, and make an effort to do something visible to the Lord God. Not just, oh God, thank you, we worship you, or have a prayer, Lord, I thank you, let's pray together. No, he said, God, I want to make up this vow, this Nazarite vow, to show you how thankful I really am. I'm not. I'm going to fast from these things, and I'm not going to cut my hair. I don't know how much hair grows in 30 days, but still, that was the vow. That was what it was for, right? And he says, "You know what? I'm, yeah, I do need a haircut, but I'm going to. You know, I'm not going to shave. I'm not going to do anything. You know." And I think Paul, in his heart, in a Jewish way, just wanted to show the Lord how thankful he was. As Paul carried on the work. He makes this faithful consecration to show God how thankful he is for his deliverance. I love that, you guys. I, I, I love that. I, I like that he didn't just do a prayer or he didn't just, you know, uh, worship the Lord with the hymn, but he did something with that in dedication and consecrating to God how much, to show how much he was thankful for. I, I love that thought. And I think that's important that we are reminded tonight to be thankful to the Lord for His deliverance in our lives. Have you prayed recently and God answered that prayer? Have you prayed for help and He came and rescued you? Has He delivered you from something or provided for you? Maybe gave you strength for something when you really needed it and He was right there? Maybe He gave you a word and He fulfilled that word to T. And, and you know what? Are we thankful to Him? Do we really stop and thank Him? Do we, do we say, Lord, I'm going to dedicate this whole day to You? How about sometimes when we fast, you know, uh, say we take a day to fast or we fast a meal, sometimes it's more about, oh, God, help me here. It's desperation or, or it's emergency, right? How about fasting and saying, God, I'm going to fast. And you know what? I'm going to do it because I want to be thankful to you. I want to show you that I'm not eating. I'm not because all I want to do right now, rather than eating lunch, I'm going to spend time just giving you thanks. I don't know. Maybe we can get creative you know, in this. We could make, make a sign and put it up to remind you of God's deliverance. I mean, Israel did that, right? Stacking the rocks and everything. 
or when, when God delivered them. Yeah, I don't know. But Paul really showed his thankfulness. And, you know, as we serve the Lord here on this planet, oh, we're going to face a lot of things, but we're also going to see God deliver us over and over again. We're going to see him faithful to his promises and faithful to his word. And, and I think we need to be reminded and be thankful to God and stop. And not just, oh yeah, thanks God. Or even, not even go back. Remember when Jesus healed 10 lepers, right? The classic story in Luke chapter 5. But only one turned around when they went to show themselves to the priest. Only one turned around, came to Jesus, fell on their, their face before, his face before Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And what Jesus say in Luke 5, 17? Didn't I heal 10 lepers, 10 men? Where are the other nine? I want to be that one, not the other nine, right? I mean, this is just reminding me, exhorting me. You know what? I need to thank God because I think we don't really stop and thank Him enough. A stay-at-home mom came home after a PTA, PTA meeting to find that the dad and daughter uh, wanted to surprise her. They cleaned up the whole kitchen. They washed all the dishes. They washed the pots and pans, put everything away, cleaned the countertops and, and the floor, everything. The, the kitchen was just spotless and clean. Mom came home, saw all that, didn't say one word. She got some water, sat down with them to watch some TV with the family. Finally, the, the dad couldn't take it anymore and said, Honey, did you notice the clean kitchen? I did, she said. Well, the husband said, Well, you're not going to say thank you? The mom said, Why should I? It's a thankless job, isn't it? I thought that was a good one. But sometimes we treat God in that same way. Sometimes we don't thank Him like we should. I think we need to put in our prayer time. Maybe you guys have a prayer time in the morning or at night. I think we need to schedule in thanking God for things He did today or yesterday or even thank Him ahead of time. Let's make an effort and show God our gratefulness. Especially because God's there as we carry on the work. Okay, so number one, the final conservation, I mean the faithful conservation, the faithful consecration. And now we come to the faithful completion, the faithful completion. And here we're going to cover verse 19 through 22. 19 through 22, but uh, let's read 19 to 21. It says, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. Now, it says here in verse 19, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Uh, what's that saying is, so they traveled now, right, from uh, Sankaria, 
on that boat, they came to Ephesus. And when the ship landed there, well, Priscilla and Aquila disembarked, and their plan was to stay there. Paul was going to go on. That, that's what it's saying. Uh, I have another map to kind of give you a perspective um, in the second map of what, what it is uh, where they are now in Ephesus. You see, they traveled by boat, ended up in Ephesus there. And so that's where Paul is now. Priscilla and Aquila are going to be staying there as Paul goes on to Israel, to Jerusalem. So with that, uh, Paul had some time. And so uh, he decided that while he was there in Ephesus, that he he go into the synagogue. And again, there's that he reasoned, right? He he. He discussed, right? He talked about, he did a study about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament prophecies with the Jews in the synagogue. Now, my thinking is that maybe the ship wasn't taking off right away. So he goes, well, I have some time, perfect timing. There's Sabbath service. I'll I'll go and I'll visit the synagogue there, the local city synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, and share about Jesus Christ. So you can say, during his layover, <laughs> right, Paul went and shared Christ with the Jews there. And then, so the, the Ephesian Jews there, they, they asked him to stay. Hey, can you stay longer? But he declined. No, I got to go. I'm just here for a layover. I'm not going to stay. I got to go on. And on taking leave of them, he said, I'll return to you if God wills. I like that. And then he set sail. Now, even though I like this because, and, and we're going to see next, next or in the next chapter or so um, on another mission trip, he's, he's going to go to, back to Ephesus. But I like how he says, if God wills. He put his future into God's hands. And think about this now. Even though it seemed like an opportunity. Hey, these, these Jews are interested. No, stay. We want to hear more. You would think, oh, God, maybe this, this is where I should be. Maybe I, I should stay. But that's not what the Holy Spirit was leading him to do. I mean, this seemed like a great opportunity. But God was leading him to go on. And he was trusting God in his leading in his will. So just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean it's always God's will. The Spirit has to lead you into, if that is God making that opportunity, or maybe it's not His will right now. Interesting though, yeah? And that's why I like how Paul says that I'll return to you if God wills. Jim Elliott said this, God always gives His best to those who lead the choice with him. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So let's hold to this. God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. All right, so then in verse 22, he left Priscilla and Aquila there and he landed at Caesarea. So he finally made it to port there in Caesarea. I have one last map here to show you. And you'll, you'll see, it's, it's more broad, but you can see um, uh, Ephesus all the way. Um, he ended up in Caesarea. And then he went down to Jerusalem there. So we see that he landed in Caesarea, ported there. And then notice it says he went 
up and greeted the church. Now, normally, if I look on a map, and Jerusalem is below, right, on the map, uh, than Caesarea, you would think, well, we go down there, right? But when you talk about Jerusalem, you always talk about going up. And, and that reason is not just, Jerusalem's actually on this plateau, so yeah, you do have to go up in elevation. But in honor of God, in under honor of the temple, you always, the Jews always spoke of going up the mountain, up to God, up to see the Lord God. So it's always termed in that way. Now, interesting thing is that it doesn't say Jerusalem, does it? But it says he went up. So we believe he went to Jerusalem and greeted the church now before he went to Antioch. So he went up to Jerusalem and he greeted the church. He went and met with the church. That's where? In Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, the first original church there. So he made a stop there. I believe he probably went to the temple, but gave his offering of the hair that he cut to. But he spent some time with the apostles there, with the church in Jerusalem there, probably shared some of the praise reports and things that the Lord did. And then from there, he went to down to Antioch. So even though Antioch is actually above uh, Caesarea, above Jerusalem, um, he went down because Jerusalem is always up. So we come now to Antioch. And coming to Antioch, we have to understand just a little blurb here in verse 22, went down to Antioch. He officially ends here his second missionary journey. You can mark that. It seems like just a little thing, but this is the official end. This is where he started. After 1,500 miles, the second missionary journey ends. Oh, what a testimony he must have shared, right, when he came into the church. Those services must have been amazing to attend, to hear all the stories, all that what God did, all the battles, all the all the attacks, but how God saved them, and, and even going into Athens, and then just recently in Corinth that we talked about. And so through all the ups, through all the downs, through all the battles, through all the revivals, Paul shared how God did amazing things. Paul made it back to Antioch. He completed his second missionary journey. And that's what I love about this. Paul was one to carry on the work all the way to the faithful completion of his mission. And I think that's a call to us. It's a call to us like Paul that we carry on the work all the way to the faithful completion. And I put here your mission. We all have a mission, you guys. God has called us to a mission wherever you're at, whatever you're, where maybe where you work, where you're He's placed you maybe in your family. Uh, wherever that is, you have a mission here on this planet. And we need to carry on the work all the way to that completion. Whether it's this project for now or this thing for now or this ministry for now or serving here. You, you know, we all have a mission where God wants to use us in that way. And it's important that we complete 
the mission. Paul was a doer. And he was one to always complete his mission. You know, I had my um, tires rotated. I took it into the shop. And uh, I don't know, maybe it was, I don't know, or maybe probably six weeks or a couple months ago. And when, when the tires are rotated, um, the, um, uh, what's it called, the tire pressure monitor, right, the TPM, lost, you know, its connection, the computer in a car. And so I got that red, you know, light that looks like a tire saying, hey, you know, something's wrong, something's wrong, you know, going on here. And, and I tried one day after the tires were rotate to kind of reset it, but I wasn't doing it right. And I actually had a tool I ordered, but it didn't work. <laughs> anyway, and, and I looked online and go, oh, you don't need a tool. You just, all you need to do is basically get it into this mode by turning the key and pushing a button and then uh, releasing air pressure from the tire. The, the sensor goes off tells the computer, hey, I'm here, and you can reset everything. Um, and so I thought, oh, well, that's easy. You know, and then just pump the tires back up. I have one of those uh, home kind of electronic pumps that I could pump the tire up. Well, I thought, oh, yeah, no problem. But I didn't do it for probably, <laughs> I finally did it yesterday, I should say. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, I'm not like Paul. I need to complete my mission, you know, and I have this to-do list. I have some repairs, project, and this year's like, I'm going to tackle these. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them done, you know, that kind of thing. But this was Paul, you know. He, 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 he made sure to complete his mission. He made sure to, to carry on the work all the way to a faithful completion. And you know what? God's calling us to do that too, to not give up in the hard times. When the battles come, when Satan's trying to discourage you, no, to get up, keep going. To, to, to not be lazy about it. To move forward in these things that God is calling you and called you to do. Yeah, you know, God wants to accomplish so much through us. Yeah. Every one of us, every one of you is important to God's kingdom and his plan and in what he's doing. Understand that. It's not like, well, I'm just this little guy here. No. God wants to use your life and what Jesus has done in you to affect other people, to bring people to the Lord, to help them grow in the Lord, to, 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 to plant a seed, to shine a light, to maybe pray with someone to receive Christ. To maybe help them uh, uh, come church or you know, all kinds of things. Understand that we all have a mission and we need to complete that mission. One of my favorite stories comes from ni- the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. John Akwari of Africa was this accomplished marathon runner. I mean, he, he, he was... He was in the game. He was one of the top marathon runners of the world. When the Olympics, the altitude in Mexico City affected him, and it caused his legs to severely cramp up during the race. But you know what? He still kept going. He still kept going. Then he tangled with some other runners, and when he fell, 
He dislocated his knee. He scraped up his leg and even hurt his shoulder. But he didn't stop running. He kept running this Olympic race even though he finished dead last. When he was asked, why didn't you quit? You're in so much pain. You're you're, you're suffering. You're not going to win. Well, you know what his reply was? My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race, but to finish the race. I love that. God has put us in a race with our lives here on this earth. So carry on the work all the way to the faithful completion of your mission. Well, let's look at number four, the faithful cultivation. We come to our our last verse here, the faithful cultivation. We see in the faithful conservation, the faithful consecration, the faithful completion, and now the faithful cultivation. Verse 23, the last verse for tonight, it says here, after spending some time there, that's in Antioch, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So after being in Antioch for a while, probably ministering, sharing what happened, what the Lord did, then you know what? He departed, and he went place from one place to the next in the region of Galatia and Phrygia, which is Asia Minor, which he went back up where he had gone before. That's what he's doing. He went back into the mission field, and this is really the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. Paul's third missionary journey. He went on in those areas. And the last part of verse 23 says, strengthening all the disciples. He went back to those who came to the Lord. He went back to those Jews and Gentiles who were saved. He went back to the places where there was revival, where there was persecution. He he went back into the mission field to disciple believers, continuing to teach them and helping them to grow spiritually. You see, Paul's heart wasn't just to make new believers, but he wanted to make sure that they were doing okay and they were continuing to grow in Jesus. The word strengthening here in Acts chapter 18, verse 23, is the Greek word episterizo, which is only used two times in the New Testament. And, and it's used in this way where it gives this idea of establishing, of, of, of making strong. It really speaks of encouragement with a mix of edification. This was Paul. This was his plan all along. It wasn't just a one-time shot. But now he's going back around and trying to hit many of the cities he did hit. So here's the last point. Paul is carrying on the work in the faithful cultivation of helping believers grow in Jesus. That's Paul's heart. That's the letters that we read in the New Testament that he wrote. We hear this in his heart, making sure that he's okay. You know, one of the things that really moves me is if, if you read the epistles and his writings and if you read his prayers in there, many times it's at the beginning of the letter, you can, you can almost feel his heart breaking for 
for those people, the people in Corinth or the people in, in Rome, the Christians in there or Galatians or Ephesians. Or, you could almost feel his, his heart just breaking for them, his love for them as he prays over them. Uh, if there's an issue, he's breaking, his heart is breaking over them. Grieving, praying that they, they would grow, they would come to the Lord, come back or get to their senses. I mean, his love for them was so deep. And, and that's what's underneath all this. That's what's driving him in going back on the third missionary journey now, going back out. He could have probably stayed in Antioch. I mean, remember him and Barnabas was basically the pastors there. But no, he went up and out to to. See how they're doing. Because he loved these people so much. And he wanted to make sure that they are growing in Christ. That they're understanding the word. Understanding God. Who they are in Christ. Who Christ is. What God has done. And, and so he's going back and doing all those things. Discipling the people there. There's a, a pastor and a evangelist, Juan Carlos Ortiz. And he said this, the making of a disciple means the creating of a duplicate. I like that idea. I like that. And Paul is one to duplicate. Du- duplicate? To du- copy? To duplicate? Duplicate. There's that word. Yes. So Paul, in his teaching, in his discipleship, raising up these guys to live for Christ as he lived for Christ too. You know, I was thinking, oh, Am I someone to duplicate? Uh, I know. I don't know about that. But are you someone to duplicate? Oh, yeah, we all have our faults. But you know what? With Christ in us, the person we are, what, how we've learned, what we've grown in, the lessons we, we've learned in the Bible, we can help someone else with that. What we found, or maybe even just what we read tonight, how God's promise is for sure how God will be there for us, how God will strengthen and protect us, how the enemy comes after us, but you know what? God is greater and he can do more. Just even that, we can pass that on to someone else. So it's important that we ourselves are growing also, but we need to also pass that on to someone else. And that, that's Paul. That's his heart. You know, I was reading um, how in the ancient Greek games, there was one competition that was not necessarily won by being in first place. This uh, winner was a person who ran his race without letting his torch go out. They were run with a torch. And they have to make sure to keep it burning. The one who crossed the finish line with his torch still lit was really the winner. That was the idea. Well, I think that's for us. We got to have our torch lit and also light the flame of the next person. It's kind of like the candlelight services, right? Where one candle gets lit and you kind of, you know, light other candles. That, that's the idea. That's discipleship. So Paul here, we see what he's doing. And throughout even what we read tonight, his journey, what God has done, we see that we can carry on the work. Now remember, our book, this book that we're studying, our, remember, we're seeing how the Holy Spirit works powerfully in people. 
And that same Holy Spirit that was in Paul is in us too. And he can, he can work powerfully in us. Understand that. What Paul did, how he can carry on, how he can even get up and go back into that missionary journey, it's because of the Holy Spirit in him. Because God used him. Oh, there was a revival going on in the city of Corinth. That was the Holy Spirit. All the Ephesian Jews in that synagogue would stay, Paul. We want to hear more. That was the work of the Holy Spirit through Paul. And the Holy Spirit is in you and I. So we need to keep that work going that God has called us to do. I want you to turn, we'll close with this. Turn to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Later, he wrote to the Corinthians, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians and also 2 Corinthians. But I love this, even thinking that he was in their, their city and what we just studied. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. May that be a word to you guys tonight. I want to close with this story. A U.S. senator was visiting Calcutta, India, visiting Mother Teresa. There at the so-called House of Dying, it's where very sick children, Keiki, were cared for, and, and there was a medical facility where the poor would line up by the hundreds for help. Well, the senator was watching Mother Teresa attend to all these people feeding and nursing those left really by others, abandoned by others to die. Well, the senator was really taken back by, by the overwhelming number of people there who were suffering, how, how she and her staff had ministered to daily. He asked Mother Teresa, how can you bear the load without being crushed by it? Mother Teresa simply replied, My dear Senator, I am not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. Let's be faithful to God. Let's carry on the work. Lord, as we close up in prayer, God, we, we come to you. and Lord, I'm motivated, Lord. Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, I, Me? I don't know. But God, your spirit is within us. And you're calling us. The spirit within us is testifying to the fact that what we have seen tonight is true. And you are here, Lord. That, that you want us to carry on the work. That, that me, little old me, God, you want to use me. In my little world and wherever I live, wherever I I. I travel, whatever I do, you want to use me. God, let us not sit back, but let us be on our own missionary journey, that we would be used by you greatly, God, that we would see that you are with us, that we would see your fingerprints around us, that you are protecting us, that your spirit empowers us. And even though we think that our words aren't that great or we can't say things, somehow, God, your spirit takes that and flips it around and uses it in mighty ways, Lord. I'm amazed at that all the time. 
whether we're planting seeds or watering or nurturing or, or whatever that is, Lord, you want to use us. So, God, here we are, Lord. Help us tonight to realize this. Help us that maybe it's saying a prayer. Maybe we're intercessors. Maybe we're to intercede for other people. To stop and pray for someone. Maybe it's to share what we learned in the morning in our devotion. Maybe, maybe it's just to love on somebody, the love of Jesus. Maybe it's to help someone, encourage them, lift them up because they're down, or help guide someone into your truth. Whatever that is, God, let your will be done. God, we give the choice to you tonight. In Jesus' name.